The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a and b with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Thursday, October 15th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. A new study puts our odds of living in a simulation at about 50-50. So that's a thing. There has been a second sighting of a person on a jetpack flying through LAX's flight path. And tips to curb your phone habit, adapted from methods used to quit smoking. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. A new study from astronomer David Kipping, published this summer in the journal Universe, argues that the odds we live in a simulation are just about 50-50. And as you can imagine, this has caused a bit of a stir. Scientific American broke down Kipping's argument, as well as some responses to it and some of the previous work he was building off of, and a lot of it, you know, frankly goes a bit over my head, but I wanted to share some highlights. Now, first, for the less Matrix-inclined listeners, what exactly do I mean by the idea of us living in a simulation? Basically, that all of us are mere virtual beings existing, if you want to call it that, unknowingly in a massive computer simulation. Over the years, many scientists have tried to uncover ways we could prove whether this is true or not, but some of the work has also revolved around calculating the odds of us living in a simulation or whether we are simply in base reality. That is to say that we actually exist and this isn't all simulated. It's worth noting there's a lot of debate over what the simulation actually means and how one even defines consciousness for that matter. I kind of like this interpretation from Neil deGrasse Tyson that he shared on a recent episode of Star Talk, quoting Scientific American, The simulation would most likely create perceptions of reality on demand rather than simulate all of reality all the time, much like a video game optimized to render only the parts of a scene visible to a player. Maybe that's why we can't travel faster than the speed of light, because if we could, we'd be able to get to another galaxy, said Chuck Nice, the show's co-host, before prompting Tyson to gleefully interrupt, before they can program it, the astrophysicist said, delighting at the thought. So the programmer put in that limit, end quote. It's all pretty wild to think about, and apart from the Matrix movies bringing this concept to the mainstream, most scientists refer back to a 2003 paper by Nick Bostrom, an Oxford philosopher, which, quote, "...imagined a technologically adept civilization that possesses immense commuting power and needs a fraction of that power to simulate new realities with conscious beings in them." 
Given this scenario, his simulation argument showed that at least one proposition in the following trilemma must be true. First, humans almost always go extinct before reaching the simulation-savvy stage. Second, even if humans make it to that stage, they are unlikely to be interested in simulating their own ancestral past. And third, the probability that we are living in a simulation is close to one. End quote. But more recently, Kipping, whose paper I mentioned was published earlier this summer, collapsed those first two propositions into one, because in both cases, there are no simulations, and he used Bayesian reasoning to calculate the probability. Bayesian reasoning, quote, allows one to calculate the odds of something happening, called the posterior probability, by first making assumptions about the thing being analyzed, assigning it a prior probability, end quote. Using that reasoning with regards to the simulation, Kipping's calculation comes out to about 50-50. It leans slightly in favor of base reality, in part because he says that even in a world where we can simulate reality, as more and more of them are spawned, the computing resources of each generation dwindles and eventually the simulations aren't able to be hosted. But the odds could change if we do actually invent the technology to simulate conscious beings, at which point it becomes almost certain that we are living in a simulation. And could we ever figure out if we're not real? Human Owadi, an expert on computational mathematics at the California Institute of Technology, says only if there's a finite amount of computational power, because if it's infinite, it could create whatever degree of reality necessary to continue tricking us, essentially. There's a lot of complex hypothesizing going on in several different fields, and you can read a little bit more about each of those at the link in the show notes, but at the end of the day, Kipping goes back to Occam's Razor which says that the simplest explanation is usually correct. And in this case, the simplest explanation is that we're at base reality. There is no simulation. Just the boring, hard truths of our real existence. So take that as your red pill. Alright, so I didn't cover this the first time it happened because, weirdly enough, it didn't seem like there was enough of a story to it, but now that it's happened twice, I feel like it bears mentioning. Air traffic control at the Los Angeles International Airport have spotted another person on a jetpack in the flight path. The person with the jetpack was reported to be flying at 6,500 feet and follows a first sighting of a person in a jetpack in Los Angeles at the end of August. The FBI is investigating both incidents, although it's unclear at the time if it's the same individual in both cases or not. And because I had to look it up to be sure when the first incident happened, yes, jetpacks are very much a real thing these days, though they are pretty rare and quite prohibitively expensive for most folks. The main backpack-style one that would fit the description of the person near LAX is made by a company called Jetpack Aviation. But Chief Executive David Maiman, who made headlines for demonstrating his jetpack by flying it around the Statue of Liberty, says it wasn't one of theirs. They only have five, they're not for sale, and they keep them locked down. The company is just interested in developing them for search and rescue types of missions or partnering with the military. All of which makes them sound a lot like Tony Stark's Iron Man suits. Jetpack Aviation does offer flying lessons for $5,000 each if you're interested, but students are attached to a wire so they wouldn't be able to get in the way of planes like this person or persons did. And as far as Maiman is aware, none of his competitors sell their jetpacks either, so the culprit must be an independent inventor. 
And as for the permissions you need to fly a jetpack, there aren't many quite yet. Quoting the LA Times, the Federal Aviation Administration doesn't issue licenses specifically for operating the devices. A jetpack could be operated as an ultralight vehicle, meaning it would not be registered with the FAA and its operator wouldn't need a pilot license, if it meets weight, fuel capacity, and speed requirements. But it still wouldn't be allowed to surprise officials by freewheeling over California's biggest airport. Without FAA approval, ultralight vehicles can fly only during the day and are barred from flying over densely populated areas or in controlled airspace, end quote. And when it was just the first jetpack sighting, a lot of folks thought that maybe the pilots who first spotted the individual actually just saw a drone with something attached to it. Personally, I hesitated mentioning it here because I thought there was a good chance it was all a hoax. But now that there's been two sightings, and both instances were spotted separately by multiple pilots and air traffic control, well, as one of the pilots said, quote, only in L.A., Alright, I've got another big segment for you today. In a world of doom scrolling, many people are trying to curb their phone habit, whether specifically to limit their use of one social media platform or another, or their dependency on their entire phone. Personally, I deleted Twitter off my phone a few weeks ago. It's been on my phone since I put it there in 2008, and the idea of deleting it once seemed inconceivable, but I just don't care to have it so easily accessible to bring me down all the time. I mean, I use it a ton during the workday, so that's more than enough, and so far I pretty much just used a combination of cold turkey and theoretical substitution methods, like when I have the temptation to go on Twitter and then remember why it's not on my phone, I try to pivot to longer form media, you know, stuff that had more time to brew, like an article or a podcast, as opposed to a quickly jotted 240 character hot take. Or I just close my phone altogether and do something else, like reading a book, listening to music, doing a chore around the house, or otherwise getting my body moving. And I'm not saying any of this like actually works and that I do it all the time, it's just what I'm trying to do. Writer McKinley Valentine has also been trying to limit her phone usage and recently decided to turn to a, well, I'm tempted to say unlikely, uh, but it's actually entirely likely source, methods that have proven to work for smokers trying to quit. Valentine tried a few main strategies to varying effect. First, the substitution method. This is the one that I tend to try to implement whenever I'm trying to curb any sort of habit. And when quitting smoking, the analog here would be chewing gum, which research has shown to be effective. Because a part of the impulse is about muscle memory, Valentine suggests using your phone in ways that are more fulfilling. Things like making lists, you know, to-do lists, gratitude lists, ideas for random things. She also recommends the Poetry Foundation app, which lets you spin a wheel of topics and another one of moods and then generates a poem for you to read. And, you know, even if they're kind of weird or not totally your thing, reading a quick poem or two is definitely more of a mind-enriching activity than a quick hit of doom scrolling. One note, though, for this method, you do need to make sure your notifications are mostly turned off at this point so that you don't get distracted by them when you open your phone. And another key thing I'd tease out here is that you need to think about the times you're actually using your phone. You know, we're not just talking about long periods of time on the couch when you should be going to bed. Think about how often throughout the day you pull out your phone for just a few moments while waiting for the coffee to brew, when the person you're hanging out with goes to the bathroom while waiting in line somewhere. 
as a social media director, these are the moments I used to optimize for. So I can tell you that platforms and brands are literally trying to trap you in those quick moments. What kinds of substitutions can you come up with to fight the habit even in those brief periods throughout the day? Maybe something super productive like a few quick exercises or trying to brainstorm on a project won't work because they don't answer the need that you're feeling in those moments. That's why Valentine recommends the Poetry Foundation app, because she found when she had the urge to reach for her phone to fill a few minutes of time, she was often tired, stressed, and anxious, just looking for something to distract her. I've found this is the best time for me to read articles, ideally ones on more benign topics than current events. I am forever behind on articles I've bookmarked in pocket, and pulling up something I've saved on, say, the evolution of squash while I wait for my takeout order to be ready still gives me something to do that looks socially acceptable, gives me a bit of that habitual urge satisfaction, but also leaves me feeling calmer and in control of my own day and emotions still, something I might no longer feel if I dipped into my email or onto Twitter. But again, these are all substitutions that still use your phone. If you're trying to limit your screen time and the urge to whip out your phone altogether, you might want to consider some of the more physical substitutions I mentioned, like washing a few dishes or wiping down the countertops. Valentine suggests things like stretching, calf raises, or push-ups off the countertop while waiting for food to cook. Or you can try something called urge surfing. Urge Surfing was developed by Alan Marlett, director of the Addictive Behaviors Research Center at the University of Washington, and has proven effective on multiple types of addictions. Quoting Valentine, The theory behind urge surfing is that urges come in waves. When you feel a craving for heroin, for cigarettes, for gambling, for anything, it ramps up like a wave over the first 20 minutes, and you feel desperate and frantic like it's going to get more and more intense until you die or explode or something. But that isn't the case. If you can ride the wave instead of fighting it, it will subside around the 30-minute mark, end quote. But of course, as Valentine points out, we don't usually have 30 minutes to spare when we're feeling the urge to reach for our phones, so she tried adapting it on a shorter timeline specifically for using phones. Essentially, when you feel the urge to check your phone, remember that it's a wave that will pass. Visualize a wave and how it breaks. Focus on one part of your body that's physically feeling the urge, probably your hand or wherever you keep your phone. Pay attention to how you're feeling. Don't judge the urge, just approach it with curiosity. And keep going like this, paying attention to your mental and physical feelings until it passes. Valentine breaks it down more in her article and also suggests some further resources if you really want to try urge surfing, link in the show notes. But she does point out that while it worked, it's pretty boring and probably a bit too extreme for something like breaking a phone habit. The final strategy that she tried was to turn to Alan Carr's seminal 1985 book, Easy Way to Stop Smoking. And that's Alan Carr, A-L-L-E-N, by the way, not a-L-A-N, as in Alan Carr, the camp British comedian and talk show host. Some of the highlights adapted by Valentine include familiarizing yourself with the realities of social media addiction and phone dependency, recognizing the difference between want and enjoyment, and then setting a date to quit and celebrating quitting instead of thinking of it as a burden. And I want to unpack that want versus enjoyment thing a little. Quoting Valentine, Carr notes that there is a huge disconnect between what we want and what we actually enjoy. They're different neurological processes. That's why you can desperately crave, for example, an entire blueberry cheesecake. But when you actually eat it, it's only okay. 
or why you often don't feel like going out with your friends at all, it seems like kind of a hassle, but when you actually see them, you have an amazing time. So Carr recommends working to really notice and internalize that disconnect. He tells smokers to pay attention to their next cigarette. It's like mindfulness, but for noticing the unpleasantness. How does it taste? Not how did you imagine it would taste when you were craving it, but how does it actually taste? Does it smell nice? Do your hands smell nice? How do you feel? Do you actually feel more relaxed or do you feel worse? End quote. Try doing the same thing with social media. You know, before you open the app, think about how you're feeling. And then after spending some time on it, check in again. Most likely, especially if you already felt a need to curb the habit, you don't feel better afterwards. And once you're aware of that consistently happening, it becomes more of an obvious thing to stop. I didn't realize until I read this article, but this is exactly how I quit eating junk food in college. I realized no matter how much I wanted it, it never lived up to my expectations, and I felt terrible afterwards. Now, which of these methods works for you will really depend on who you are, how you use your phone, and what you want to accomplish. And just a final note that our phones and social media aren't all bad. If you notice they're negatively affecting your life, absolutely try to limit your usage, but no need to judge yourself or others for continuing to engage, especially in this time when so many are just trying to get by. And one last thing before I go, do yourself a favor today and look up the unflattering dog photo challenge tag on Twitter or Instagram. There's a a cat counterpart as well if you're a cat person, but just some fun photos to brighten up your day. With that, I'm going to go enjoy the great weather today by taking a quick trip on my jetpack. I mean, car. Perfectly normal consumer car. (laughs) I hope you all have a good day as well. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.